a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. And today, we are joined by Kim Coleman. She's the Executive Director of Children First Education Fund. It's a scholarship-granting organization located in Utah. And I thank you for joining us this oh, it's today. It's great to be here. Thank you. So, first, uh, what's, what is Children First? Can you, can you describe what you guys do? And, and it's, it's kind of a startup at this point, right? It is a startup. It's a brand new program that the Utah legislature created last year, came into effect this year. So we're really very, very new. And uh, it's a scholarship granting organization. So that sort of speaks for itself. We offer scholarships for students with disabilities. And and those uh, the, the requirements for that or the eligibility standards are uh, – would be the same as a student in a public school that qualifies for special education services. So, so we benefit students uh, that qualify for special education services. Um, it's so five hundred four tends to be something a, a little like bit different than than uh, students who qualify for an IEP for an individualized <clears throat> excuse me education program. So um, there's a little bit of distinction between those two, the 504 and the IEP program. So this would be on the IEP side. So learning disabilities, uh, disabilities that impact the education of the student in, and their ability to access their education. So, um, But very specifically, uh, this is for students who are not in the public system. So, so these are kids that are at home right now. Or? So these these may be students that are homeschooled, students that are in a private school. Um, an emerging popular school model is is micro schools, um, pod schooling, where families get together and they may, as a group, hire a teacher or share their skills among each other. Oh, yeah, so you can do that. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm curious though. Wouldn't what if I have a child in the public education system now? Because I don't have money to go to a private school, right. couldn't I apply for this? Or how, how does so it work? The reason why it doesn't really apply to students who are in the public school is because the federal government and our state government guarantees a range, a full range, continuum of services, accommodations, um, and so forth for students with disabilities in the public school system. So. Uh, that robust um, offering of services and in entitlements to services already exist in the public school. So uh, to have the opportunity for families who have uh, chosen differently for a broad range of reasons, 
who still have a child with a disability that they're trying to meet the needs for, this scholarship helps them. Um, not all private schools offer uh, distinct services for children with disabilities. So to, to have a parent be able to exercise a choice in a private school but then have some supplemental funds uh, to help uh, with therapies, with materials, services, it's a broad range of things that the scholarship offers. So it, it may pay for private school tuition and then it may pay for uh, other materials, fees, uh, online courses, uh, different therapies. Uh, frequently, students with disabilities are accessing speech therapy, mm-hmm. occupational therapy, uh, things like that to help them perform uh, as, as a student and to access their education accommodations that help them um, that that help with that disability. What's the history of these? You say it was something the legislature chose to create. Like what led to them thinking yeah, this has was this a need? been done before in place? Oh yeah. So we are not a leader by <laughs> any stretch. We now join half the country. So we we were definitely so not prevalent. first. This okay. is this has gone on in a lot of uh, states for a long time. Uh, I think longest running state is about 17, 18 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a long time. So that's you know a yeah. lot of students have gone through. Uh, similar types of programs. So, yeah, Utah is in, in the middle of the pack coming online with this option for students. And uh, there's a flip side of this. Uh, there is the, you know, how does this these scholarships get paid for? Um, so what the legislature also did was they created a tax credit advantage for people who are willing to support this program and, and to support these, these scholarships. And uh, in Utah, we offer a 100% one-to-one state income tax credit if you support the scholarship fund. So um, every dollar you donate to this fund is a dollar taken right off the top uh, uh, of your tax, your state income tax burden. So uh, it's not a deduction where deductions work by, you know, you Percentage get to of this, add up so yeah. all your deductions and whatever's left, then you're taxed on that amount. No, this is... Whatever amount you're taxed, this comes right off the top. And there are several states that offer that, but not all of them. So, so we, uh, we're, we're, we have a pretty good policy here in Utah to encourage taxpayers to support this. So, Does this take money away from uh, typical public schools? Uh, so it's probably important to note that this is a very, very small fraction of what we spend on education. It's one-tenth of 1% of our state uh, appropriations for public education. So it's a very, very small amount. Um, it is, you know, we spend about uh, $6 uh, billion. This is a $6 million scholarship. So it's very, very little. And how many kids do you feel like that might be able to help? That should be able to help about 1,000 students. Which sounds like a lot, but and certainly for those kids that's important. But it's, oh, absolutely. In terms of... The overall need, is that going to reach all the kids you'd hope to reach? So uh, to p- give you some context, uh, we serve over 650,000 students in the public education system in Utah. This is only going to maybe serve about 1,000, so out of 650. Uh, uh, but how many of those 650 are disabled? You know, they would qualify for About 80,000. Like oh. So typically... Uh, the population generally has about 12 to 15 percent of its students uh, really kind of in any general population uh, that would be eligible under, you know, federal uh, federal 
laws for disabilities and the definitions of, of uh, disabilities for students. So, yeah, about 80,000 students would qualify as a student with a disability. So, um, you know, we hope to serve about 1,000 of those. And, of course, it's brand new this year. Mm-hmm. We hope to grow. We hope mm-hmm. uh, that that maybe that $6 million figure raises. We hope that maybe even more students in need um, particularly one I'm watching is uh, one that Florida just passed a few years ago that benefits students that are, are having um, maybe they're being bullied. They've been assaulted in mm. school, um, some mental health challenges that come with that. And I think we, we are seeing uh, a need definitely in our society mm-hmm. for helping students that are having those kinds of challenges. So so I, I, I'm a big fan of hoping we see something like that, even uh, maybe lower income families. So right now, though, the scholarship is just uh, available to students with disabilities. I want to get a sense of, so does this take them out of the traditional school? Or, it, well, these kids are already out of traditional school. So this, out of public school. They're out of public, out of public school. school. So, so there's a little bit of both. So we our, our scholarship ranges from 4000 to almost 10000 and that is based on income. But also, if you're a student who is already outside of the public system, you're, you're already being homeschooled or private schooled, uh, you're only eligible for the smaller amount. If, if you are a student who is, is leaving the, the, the public school, uh, that scholarship has a larger amount. So it, it, it offers a little bit more support for students who haven't already exercised the option to not be in the public school. Mm-hmm. So it it really is uh, meant to capture more new students and giving Mm -hmm. that new option. So it will help. So there are kids who are in public school now. They're struggling and their parents are looking for options. Maybe they can't afford it. And they could say, oh, this is an option for me. You know, we'll do it. How do we apply for this? Absolutely. So so families maybe that would like to exercise the option but can't afford it, knowing that the scholarship is out there might help them with that choice. We have about 32 private schools that participate in the program. So there is a, a state component of approving the, the private school that, that can participate. Um, we hope to bring more online. And the scholarship itself might even help kind of spur the, um, the availability of, of private schools as well. I've got a little bit less than a minute. So why is it taking so long to kind of uh, – if all these other states have already been doing this for up to 17 years – why is it taking Utah so long to kind of catch on? I don't know. That is a really, really good question. No. I don't know. Okay. I, you know, people have tried well, it over I, the years. And let's let's talk about that after because I think I have some idea of why people are resistant to this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're speaking today with Kim Coleman. She's the executive director of Children First Education Fund. It's a scholarship granting organization that helps kids who are disabled to have other issues in our educational system, and we want to help every kid thrive. So this is certainly one of those ways we can do that. We'll continue our discussion. You're listening to Voices of Reason. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.
We are back. Jason Lee, Amy Donaldson, Live on Project's Voices of Reason, speaking today with Kim Coleman, Executive Director of Children First Education Fund that uh, grants scholarships, uh, a newly developed organization that is hoping to grant scholarships to kids who have a lot of special needs, but the education system as it works, uh, and these are private school kids in a lot of cases, just doesn't meet the needs of these children. Now, Amy, uh, as it turns out, had a situation where something like this might have helped you. Yeah, I mean, I I was a I put took my kids out of the my older daughter out of public school and put her in a private school after going through a reading program in the summer to try to catch my daughter up. How old uh, was she at the time? Uh, she was in first grade, mm-hmm. um, and um, and I tried really hard to work with the school. In fact, you know, because I covered education, I knew people in the district, and I talked with them at length about what some of my concerns were, and. Um, uh, I think my beef with uh, public school, which I am a huge supporter of, is that it's really hard um, to to work at your own pace in public school. Public school teachers have the hardest job, in my opinion, because they have to bring all these different levels and different learning styles, and they have to bring everyone along at the same pace. Or like, there's a you know, it's it's really a remarkable thing what we do in public schools. And I admire it. My concern is that a working mom, I didn't have the time to do some of the stuff that I I was I volunteered in the classroom. But so we did this summer program. I was super impressed with the reading program. I as a, Jason and I both talked about we both have dyslexia. I just felt like I wanted her to have that advantage. I thought this will help her in life. Was and she I, dyslexic too? No, um, but the problem I see is what happens with kids, and anybody who has kids can probably attest to this. If they figure out that they don't have to do something, they don't do it. (laughs) So you work to what you need, right? Like there's very few kids who are like, I'm going over and above, right? It's what do I need? I've heard, I mean, I've heard this in my college classes when I was in college. What do I need to pass this class? What do I need? What do you want from me? And I'll do that rather than. Let's learn this. Let's explore this idea. Let's do this thing together, right? And I found that I, fa- I just happened to find a school uh, where that was the – the idea wasn't what do you need to get a passing grade to move up a grade level. This was what can you do in an hour and a half with these kids in reading, right? Like what can each kid do? And the kids worked at their own pace. You had sixth graders in a class with first graders and no, but there wasn't stigma because you were – the goal was to learn what you could, right? So I I loved – but they could do that because it was smaller, private. You know, they could do that. But there – you know, you, there are trade-offs. There's a, definitely a lack of diversity. There's a lack of socioeconomic diversity, a lack of racial diversity. Um, and I felt and – and they try to do things to rectify it. But it's difficult when you don't have – it's not just paying tuition. You have to be able to drive your kid across the valley. You have to be able to pick your kid up in the middle of a work day. There are a lot of things that come into play. And there are things that your kids want to do at school that cost money. And it's a difficult – everything now. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, it, and yeah. It's, it's really a difficult lift for parents. And I think this idea that um, even though we continue, I think we should continue to invest in support, and I do, I'm fully invested in my public schools, but I felt – sort of abandoned on this like okay i took a part-time job at my kid's school um to to try to help pay for the tuition and then they asked me all the time like can you help us Mm -hmm. bring kids in who are from your socioeconomic area but they couldn't do they couldn't drive across town they couldn't you know there were definitely they didn't have two cars or um and i think this is one of the things i was excited about when i saw this on 
the Facebook page of a mutual friend was this is an option. It's not an option for everybody and it's not the option everybody wants, but it's like we need more choices, not fewer choices. So how would this help? So this past year has been dubbed the the year of school choice. I mean, and, and we've never seen the the public be so supportive of school choice as they have the last year. And and it's uh, nationally 74% of people support school choice. And so school choice in what can you explain that a school little bit? School choice very generally can can Amy walk her child to a school that uh, best meets those needs and I think as I was listening to your story I think there in there's the scenario of the parent that that just wants to have the needs of the child met with the disability and the school maybe is doing their best but it's it's limited um, and so you you want to find the best school to meet the needs of the disability the other side of that uh, closely related to that is is maybe you want school choice a different school for other reasons mm-hmm. but you feel like you're inadequate to meet the disability needs and so whatever your your motivator is um, to to seek choice uh, you shouldn't be limited mm-hmm. in finding the right thing for your child especially the child with a disability and um, so this scholarship is income-based. Mm-hmm. So um, on a sliding scale, the higher the income, the, the lower the award, the lower income, the higher award. So that does start to equalize and that opportunity for students with low income does give parents uh, hope that if, if I choose a school for another reason, and we've got in the news every day school board meetings stuff happening Mm -hmm. and so whatever your reason is that you want something different for your child uh, you don't have to be limited by income when it comes to your your student with a disability so like for me i i don't have kids in school but i've been paying for them for about since i was 25 years old because that's when i started owning property you know i always i i'm public school is important because i went to public school my whole life and and I feel like I don't want these kids who either want to go or don't have a lot of other choices to then have their already limited funding, you know, spread out so that other people can, you know, uh, have – I mean, I, I know school choice is important. I'm not trying to diminish that. But I don't want it to be at anybody else's expense. And mm-hmm. so for somebody like me, how do how does a program like this, uh, you know, alleviate some of that worry I have? So uh, one of the great things is um, we are seeing these students have exponentially um, improved success in education. That is an investment. However, that impact, impacts the public school. That is an investment of of our state generally that has a generational impact on our economy and future generations being able to contribute to the economy. But what's great also uh, across the country is – uh, where we've seen these states implement these programs, we're seeing about a four to one savings. So for that thousand uh, dollar donation that's receiving a tax credit, it's saving the state anywhere from two thousand to four thousand dollars for that student. So it's that is a, a net benefit on the financial side, but then on the the bigger picture side of the future. And the, those those future citizens that that are accessing 
uh, an education that's better meeting their needs has, you know, an immeasurable impact over time and a generation. Okay. And I also think that, um, like, my kids went back into public school, Daphne for middle school and Rachel for high school, uh, at the high school level, because they did want to have, like, a more, a wider, you know, sort of more public uh, education experience. And um, I I think that's probably the case with a lot of parents. Like, they are doing what they can to help, their, especially kids with disabilities. When you start behind or when you start at a disadvantage, um, it it. it it's hard to, to and, and there's so many ways in which it happens. And I guess, do you hear from parents? Are you hearing about these kinds of things? Um, what what are you hearing from the people who are? Well, I mean, for us, we're we're brand new, so yeah. we we are excited to to kind of put together the baseline data this year and then watch uh, watch those long term effects and mm-hmm. short term effects. Um, but in the life of a child, it's such a small time. And, and and the year in the life of a child is so impactful. They can't wait for the grown-ups to figure out their mm-hmm. mess, right? Yeah. And so so to be able to, to empower parents more to to just do do what's great and best for their child. I mean, we've we've just got to get there and we've got to get there to a greater degree. Utah is generally pretty good with school choice. We have long had uh, a system where you you're not necessarily locked into your neighborhood school. You can exercise a special permit and go to a school across the district or even into mm-hmm. another district. That's a plus for Utah. Um, but you know, frequently those better schools have waiting lists or you you know there there's no room. Uh, we have a robust charter school system with pluses and minuses. Um, so this has really been called the new frontier. Um, in, in public education choices is is really empowering the parent to make very uh, very specialized uh, decisions about their child with a disability. And um, again, we have these 32 private schools that participate, but we also have what's called an education uh, scholarship uh, account, which is new. There's only a handful of states that have that. Let's talk about that when we come back. Uh, so, uh, we're talking education today. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Amy Donaldson, Jason Lee, Voices of Reason, talking today education with uh, Kim Coleman, Executive Director of Children First Education Fund. Uh, you guys are you're developing a program to uh, give scholarships, uh, grant scholarships to kids, generally speaking, special needs or disabled disabilities. How do you uh, children with disabilities? Disabilities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, I, I'm I love the idea of helping children any way you can. Though I'm I'm always I went to public schools in working class neighborhoods. So, you know, we don't we didn't have deep pockets. And even though I hear what you're saying is helping these kids, there's I mean, if I if if I had a young kid and and uh I don't want them to I don't want them to go to a school that already doesn't have a lot and then find that cuz school choice sounds great in theory, but the same way I don't get to choose uh, you know, all the things about utilities I pay with my taxes and all these things. I feel like we're we're trying to make give everybody uh when it comes to education, like we want to change that whole model so that 
people like can send their kids to a private school with my with their uh, public money. I'm like, well, that's not how it works. We're we're trying to benefit the entire community rather than you know allow you to take your money and put it to where you want. If you want to send your kid to private school, do that. Mm-hmm. But the, the there's a reason why our society is better served by having strong public education available to every kid, whether they have money or not. And mm-hmm. and so when I'm I'm listening to this again, I'm I'm all for what you're trying to do, and I'm not trying to diminish that in any way. But I I still want to understand how this can be done in a way that doesn't uh, hurt kids whose choices aren't uh, quite as broad as what you're describing. Right. So so you're talking about the system, yeah. and I think what. Uh, in uh, nationally, we are seeing much more movement uh, toward funding students and not systems. Mm-hmm. And and when you're the parent and you're living those restrictions and you're living uh, f- facing that whatever is not working for your child, and and again, um, your child does not have a lifetime to wait for systems to change. And systems to adapt, and so I I support uh, definitely in the public system that we have creating choice even within the public school system. But if it's just not working for your child, and and you need the lifeboat, uh, this is one of those. And 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 I uh, you you uh, kind of noted that your experience with public school was great. My my experience with public school was also fine. Um, but I am talking to parents every day that it's not fine for their mm-hmm. child and and tell a mother that you have no options. You give that child in the school and, you know, a, a mom will move, you know, and a dad will move mountains for yeah. their child. We are helping. We're helping with that. So, again, the uh, the ultimate Can you impact. Do both? That's a question. Yeah, I, I, I that's where I wanted to jump in. I think for us. Because my husband was, had a real resistance to sending our kids to private school, <laughs> also because he's a product of the public school and he feels like it's your patriotic duty, you know, to have good public investment. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. And I said, we can do both. I buy, I go to the car wash at my high school, you know, I drive my best in every way. I buy the the what is it? The Christmas wrap I don't need, and you know the fundraisers that <laughs> the the, overpriced, yeah, exactly. You know, great quality. You know, yeah, and I'm like, the, actually, it's really, and I'm like, no one's allowed to use this because it's the fundraiser paper, so <laughs> not the Walmart paper. But I, I think that you can be of a mind, and my thing was, I didn't want people to think this is like a backdoor to what we debated in the 90s and early 2000s, which is you get a tax, you get a credit, you take your money and you go to a private school. That's true. Because that's that's what I was. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think this is different in that it's addressing a need that's already existing and it's actually going to make it possible for people who are sort of on that bubble, which is where I lived. Um, But you, we should still be at every, any of my kids were not in public. They were in private school. I was teaching at a private school and I was supporting my local public school. Um, you know, we go to the carnivals. You, you, I am fine with the tax increases. I voted for them. And so I feel like you can do both. Um, and I think you should do both because everyone isn't it. But don't take from me a choice because you're afraid I'm not going to support the public school. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I think that choice also provides a, a little bit of competition as well, which I think is also healthy. And so so does it help the, the, the local public school 
you know, maybe want to do better. And if, if, if a child leaves for whatever reasons, mm-hmm. does that help them reconsider that, you know, what can we do differently? That, that's and, been an interesting thing to me because I don't know an educator or an administrator who doesn't want to be better, right? right? Like they want to offer all this stuff. They just don't have the money. Yeah, they may not have yeah. the money. They may, yeah. may just not ex- exactly know yeah. how. But so uh, so nationally, uh, there's uh, a... a a, a world of tax credit scholarships, mm-hmm. which uh, which we have. There's also what's called education scholarship accounts, and these are both just new frontiers. And with the with the uh, with both programs, um, we do fund a range of things. But on the education scholarship account side, this is the part where we do fund a parent uh, the the certain amount of the scholarship, and then they kind of use that as almost like a savings account. That they can then uh, spend it on a, a wide range of educational needs, and so that's very, very empowering. Mostly, what so far what we're seeing that used for is therapy, is is that speech therapy, occupational therapy, um, different types of specific uh, therapies related to the disability. That's never been done in our state, so it's not just helping students go to private school. This is is supplementing and helping lots of parents that need that extra support. And, you know, we hear all the time um, that the school gives half an hour a week of speech therapy, but privately they're in speech therapy for four hours a week. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, the parent deciding and the clinician deciding what is best for that student we empower that now through this scholarship. So it, it really is a wide range of options. And I want to want to emphasize, too, that that nationally we are seeing anywhere from a two to four percent or four to one savings of the taxpayers. Um, typically, students with disabilities, they they are receiving specialized services in the districts there. There are additional costs to that. Mm-hmm. So for the money that is that, um, you know, this one tenth of one percent of the of what we spend on education kind of being set aside for this choice um, right now, um, the net effect has historically been that it, that's a savings. So that's more money that stays in the system uh, and, and benefiting the other students that are in the system, so it's it's just a win win. And and again, if you're someone who wants to support that, the state has said that you can take your donations right off the top of your state income tax. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we're fundraising all the time. We'd love your donation. Look at what you're going to owe uh, local state Uncle Sam in <laughs> April. And and if you donate to that now, it provides those scholarships. But at the same time, it's just a wash. It's mm-hmm. it's not even money out of your pocket. It's right. money that was going to the state. But again, just a little trickle. It's just a little bit of that. Well, we got to start somewhere, right? Uh, we're speaking today uh, with Kim Coleman, who is trying to change, hopefully for the better, our education system, particularly as it relates to helping kids with disabilities. We'll continue our discussion. You're listening to Voices of Reason. of Reason, Jason Lee, Amy Donaldson, today speaking with Kim Coleman, who's the executive director of Children First Education Fund, which is a scholarship granting organization. And uh, so Amy's, I guess, going to ask, 
Kim, how did you even get into this? <laughs> uh, we should, you tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I do have a background in school choice. Started at one of the earliest charter schools in Utah way back in like 2005, 2006. So, Isn't so it pre- amazing that that was 15 years ago. I know. Yeah. I just hate to lie. <laughs> Long time ago, we've seen yeah. thousands of students come come through our school, and and uh, you know, just watching generally the movement across the nation, um, charter schools don't solve every problem either. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, providing even more resources for for families and more choices for families is, I I just think that's always a better. Had you been an educator? A, a better. Uh, so I was a public administrator. I've been a private school teacher, and so a uh, lot of background in education. Yeah. And you got then, got, then got I, involved in politics. I have five kids. My yeah. husband is Joel Coleman, who he runs the statewide uh, schools for deaf and blind. So he has one hundred percent of his students, you know, have have uh, disability and. So we know a little bit about disabilities, you know, a little bit about education and a little bit about choice. And and uh, I did serve in the legislature where also, you know, supported choice and uh, choice policies. So um, I, I don't think anybody wants to harm the public school system. We mm-hmm. always want improvements. And but I love that we are we we're using the language even that we want to support funding kids, funding the students and not be so caught up in in, in the system, mm-hmm. um, but how can we best benefit every child? How will it work for homeschool kids? So homeschooled kids are also eligible for the scholarship. So, mm-hmm. and and there are a lot of homeschool kids with disabilities, and and mm-hmm. that may be the reason a parent chose to homeschool. I almost I, did this because my daughter had a congenital heart defect. Uh, yeah, right. And yeah. how how overwhelming could that possibly be for a parent that feels like they want to homeschool? But they don't know, you know, they don't feel qualified. Hard, though, isn't it? Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I was like, I could teach my kids uh, reading and writing, but they would never be able to do math. <laughs> no, I mean, you have to, to you think of the things you learn in Anybody school. Anybody thinks this teaching kids is easy is nuts. Yeah, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't think that's easy. <laughs> but if you have a student with a, dis- a child with a disability, that may... Right. Uh, self-limit your choices, uh, but this scholarship can then come in and, and supplement what you're doing at home and, and provide those additional therapies, those additional supports, coursework, things like that. And like like I said, we're seeing a movement across the country of micro-schooling where parents get together and they may hire their own teacher. And, and again, if there's a, a student with uh, with special needs in that cohort, this scholarship can help. You, you know, mentioned bring those. Resources. Uh, well, right. It, it's, it's limited, right? So you have to apply that mean, and now that you've really described to me that there are uh, what sixty nine or what eighty thousand kids, and we're only talking a thousand of them, we still need to serve those other seventy nine thousand right. kids. Mm-hmm. How do we do that in a way that is you know a affordable and just feasible even? So again, uh, the students who are in the uh, public school system have a broad range of educational rights under federal law and under state law. And I would encourage you if you are a parent and you feel like your needs are not being, your child's needs are not being met, um, you have options. There are advocacy groups out there and you can appeal. There is a a long line of appeal options if, if you feel like the school is not adequately serving your student, then do your thing, advocate for your child and ask for an appeal, and it can be appealed then to the district. It can be appealed to the state, eventually or ultimately to the courts, 
And so I absolutely encourage you as a parent with a child with a disability in the public school to advocate to the nth degree for your child. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a little, whatever that takes. <laughs> and, and again, you know, the system is full of people who want to do their best. And mm-hmm. sometimes it just takes a little extra assertive nudging mm-hmm. and, or, or just information. Sometimes that education team may not know exactly what's best for your child. Ask them to try something different. Um, well, what if you don't know what to ask for, right? Like that, I think that is a common thing that I see is I see my kids struggling. I've been told they have, you know, A or B issue. Maybe they're on the spectrum, but they're mm-hmm. pretty high functioning. Um, I don't know what's available. I'm not, I mean, this is the thing I found out when you have a kid with a medical issue, you have to become a researcher and take medical, you know, a part-time medical classes to be able to ask for the right things. Um, and I don't know why, why there isn't some way to say, if you have kids with these issues, these are the things that are available to you. I learn every day about programs that exist that would really, would save people's lives. Yeah. And they didn't know they existed. I, you know, I, I, I don't have an answer for that. Yeah. Um, but that is often the difference, you know, with the, the parents who do their deep, deep dives and mm-hmm. they, they learn their rights. It should be a little bit more um, Are there presented good? to parents yeah. rather than the parents have to go. But that's not always the way it works. But you're, you're uh, you know, a, a public school IEP team does require to have some expertise on that team. And so ask your questions as a parent. Uh, do your homework. Find a, we have found hundreds of Facebook groups for parent advocacy where they are sharing information with each other, sharing good resources, um, support for each other. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, parents really need that support in a, in a community mm-hmm. of support. Uh, we have found ourselves in, in a position of, of feeling like, you know, we, we want to provide some of those extra resources at least, you know, point parents in the right direction. But, mm-hmm. um, it, do you yeah. have – are there advocacy groups you would recommend or are they available on your website? And can you give us your website information? So I would say Utah Parent Center is kind of one of the prominent ones um, in, in our state right now. And, oh, gosh, you can search Facebook for uh, the disability, the geography, the mm-hmm. – um, you know, your your city. There's um, There's almost endless – Groups that can help uh, that provide or, or at least share resources, information, support, uh, things like that. But if you're a parent who is trying to make the decision or who has made the decision that your neighborhood school maybe just isn't isn't right, it isn't mm-hmm. enough. Uh, the scholarship may help help your child exercise more choice. And what's I would. Your, what's your website? It is childrenfirsteducationfund.org. And so we would love uh, – we're not going to give away a 1,000 scholarships this year. I'll tell you, we're brand new, still getting the word out. So Mm -hmm. if you know anybody uh, who has a child with a disability, please send them our way. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to have – Yeah, we want to have you back on and talk about some of the ways in which this has helped kids. Yes. Because to me, that's the thing. I think when you find out your kid has a disability, when you get that diagnosis or when you have that conversation with a teacher or a school official – um, it can be um, incredibly discouraging. You may think like, oh, this is limiting my kids' options for the rest of their lives. And I would say that is not the case. And that's sort of what you're hoping will happen. Right. I yeah. mean, this really opens up 
all the options mm-hmm. again for those services, for those materials, uh, coursework, uh, private institutions as well. So it's a, it's you know it's the largest range of of choice that we've provided students and parents in Utah. Um, on on the donor side, we'd sure love you. Look at your taxes for <laughs> December thirty first is right around the corner. So, uh, you know, sometimes people start looking at that. Actually, when Christmas this is good timing. Way, I mean, right, I, right, this, right. this yeah. really is the time. And yeah. so, you know, it's you get to choose. Do you want your state income tax to go to the state or can you help a couple students? That's right. So mm-hmm. that's uh, childrenfirsteducationfund.org. Kim Coleman, right. thank you very much for joining thank us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about the show, please contact us via email at voramed at gmail.com or at vorjasonl at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at ADONsports and at JasonLee1. Our show's Twitter handle is at VORpodcast. You can also check out our Facebook page, look for our, and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast in all the places where you find interesting podcasts, Google Podcasts, Apple, any place else, Spotify. And we'd love to get your feedback. If, if you get a chance, please review our show. It helps us grow our audience. But until next time, along with Amy Donaldson, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.